Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Okay, well, thanks for being here. Let's jump in. Pray and ask the Lord to help us. Yeah, we pray tonight as we study the book of Revelation and the subject of ruling with Jesus, that you would awaken the eyes of our understanding, that we would go deeper in this message, it would make more sense to us, that our spirits would be alive, and we would be in, uh, challenged and encouraged by it in Jesus' name. Amen. If we can bring these lights down just a little bit. Book of Revelation, <clears throat> this session is entitled Ruling with Christ. Now, we know this, right? We know that the, um, the end of the story is we win. The giant com- uh, component of we win is that Jesus comes back and that we get to be with him. But one of the things that we want to give some attention to tonight is the subject of ruling with him and how unique, dynamic, layered, awesome, impossible that subject is. Uh, it's actually a, a significant... Um, uh, part of how Jesus motivates us in this age is with promise of authority in the next age. And not everyone will be given the same authority. Not everyone will be given the same position or proximity to Jesus in the next age. Uh, those things are determined by our willingness to partner with him in this age. So there's a dynamic connection between this age that we're living in right now, the decisions that we make, the way we forgive people when they do us dirty, and how things go for us in the next age. And so that's a really important subject. Matthew 5, 5, a verse that we know well, but let's millennialize it. Let's put it in the context of the reign of Jesus. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Non-meek people will not inherit anything. Not all who are Christians are meek. The meek will inherit the earth. This is not a promise given to, you prayed the prayer, congratulations. The earth will be your inheritance in a significant way. It's not what the verse says. It says the meek will inherit the earth. And that's really uh, a, a simplification of the overall subject of how we wind up giving, getting positions of authority in the next age. Uh, but if you just want to simplify it, you're like, I just need one phrase, uh, you know, me simple, me play football, me need simple instruction, then the meek will inherit the earth, and that's all you need. Uh, it's a bit more complicated than that, but that'll get the job done if you'll focus on that. Now, just looking at some of the positions of authority here, the, uh, not the unique positions, but the fact of it, here uh, in letter A on page one, that there are going to be positions of authority given to the saints in the next age. Look at this. This is Revelation 2. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Does my will and overcomes. And this is in the context, actually, of the Great Tribulation. Vina was just talking to us about that series on the Great Tribulation. Well, one of the great parts about it is while it will be difficult at a level 10, if we endure, if we overcome in the midst of that difficulty, overcome meaning be meek, overcome meaning stay true to Jesus, in a lot of different ways overcome, then we will be given authority, positions of authority in the nations in the next age. That is profound. 
Next uh, verse, Psalm 37, 9 through 11, is part of what Jesus was quoting, alluding to, leaning on the word of God as part of his, uh, his anchor and testimony for those beatitudes. It says this, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. And it's talking about the period of the uh, end times if you look at the context there. Daniel chapter 7 says, Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. The saints given authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. Pretty significant deal. So the saints inheriting the earth includes being given positions of authority. It also includes serving as priests before God. Revelation 5.10 says that God has made them to be a kingdom. We were just talking about having rulership over the kingdoms. It says now they were given, uh, made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. But I don't know if you noticed that. They will reign on the earth was related to being priests. Priests reigning. So there's a, a, a part of our inheriting the earth that's related even to the priestly role in the next age. Acting as judges. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? What a profound idea. The saints serving as judges, having positions in Christ's government to judge the earth. It doesn't mean judge it in intercession and proclamation in this age. The context here is that there is coming a far greater responsibility of the role of judgment in the age to come. And so then Paul says, so why can't you judge trivial cases now? He's like, you guys need to be spiritual enough that you can deal with your stuff within the church and handle those things rightly according to the word of God because you're going to be given judgment over the planet in the age to come. And my goodness, I hope that you do a better job of that than you're doing of dealing with the, the wrongs that are being committed in your midst right now. We're going to also give instruction to the nations. Let's read a couple of these verses. 2 Timothy 2. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, then we will also reign with him. Part I want to focus on really is the with him. The, the with him. We're going to be doing what he's doing. We're going to be a part of what he is about. A significant part of Christ's reign and leadership is about instructing the nations. It's about giving right information. It connects back even with the judgment that we were just reading about that we're going to judge the world. Well, not all that judgment is you did bad, you're in trouble. Some of that judgment is you did right. Good job, correct assessment of how this ought to go. Some of that judgment is going to be this system has been in place and it needs to go away because it's bad. There's going to be a lot of instruction that occurs and we're going to get to be a part of that. Look at this. See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. There's going to be those ruling with him. And I, I'm just that with him side of things, the, that thought process of giving his instruction, speaking his ideas, ruling with him doesn't mean we're going to come up with our own ideas and be set free to just do whatever we want, act however we want. We're going to be ruling with him, alongside him, saying what he's saying, repeating his ideas, giving his instruction. Jesus' path to promotion, I just want to help us to understand this idea about ruling with him. This is a subject he cares greatly about. It's his plan, it's not your plan. It's his idea, not a carnal desire within you. 
Now, it's possible that we might go about trying to meet that carnal or, or that, uh, that goal with carnality. It's possible that we might try to accomplish that desire that he put in us to rule, to be great in the age to come. It's possible that we might go about trying to pursue that in wrong ways, in carnal ways. But the desire itself was God-ordained. He put it there. Look at this. It's interesting the tone that Jesus takes with his guys in this crazy scenario that happens with the sons of thunder and their mama. He says this in uh, Matthew chapter 20, 21 through 18. Uh, whoop, that's not right. Matthew chapter 20. In there somewhere is this passage. <laughs> Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. This is the, son, uh, the, uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is the, the sons of thunder, John James. And we're being told here that the mom comes up to Jesus and says, hey, listen, I know you really like my boys. I want you to do me a favor because I know you like me as well. You let me hang around at all the meals. I've got your favor. I want for you, when you come back and you set up your messianic kingdom, I want you to take boy one and put him on your right and boy two and make him on your left. I want them to be the main two guys in your governmental leadership over the planet. Here's what Jesus doesn't do. Look at her and shake his head like, woman, you have lost your mind. That is not how it works. He doesn't look at her and say, there is no such thing as position at my right hand and position at my left hand. He does not say, she does not say those, uh, he does not say those words to her. Because those positions exist and actually the fact that people are eyeballing those positions is godly. Here's what he says. He does rebuke. He says, you don't know what you're asking. To sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those to whom they have been prepared by my Father. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus talking about the, the role of authority in the age to come, about how to get promoted. He doesn't, uh, you know, poo-poo the concept of promotion. He draws more attention to it, in fact. And he says, no, I, I actually love that we're having this dialogue. You just don't know what you're asking because you think it's mine to grant. Like if I just wanted to show favor on somebody, just go, you know what? You can pass everybody up in human history that's been more meek than you. You can just go ahead and go to the front of the line because I like you. You say funny jokes. He says, that's not how this works. He said, those positions exist and they will be granted to the ones that have earned it. And they will earn it by living a life of humility, service, love, going low. He said, those positions exist. You are right in your assessment. You're just wrong in your pursuit. Very important. Because in the age to come, there is literally going to be somebody at Jesus' right and somebody at Jesus' left. And they will have gotten there by meekness. That's how they'll get there. Well, Lord, help me be meek is how we ought to hear that passage. All right. Now, Jesus is going to be leading the nations from Israel. This is important. We're talking about ruling with Christ. 
We want to make sure that we understand we've got a right perspective of how Jesus, who is fully God, but he's also 100% human being. And this human being is going to not only be on the earth, he's going to be in Jerusalem, ruling the planet from Jerusalem. So when we think about ruling with Christ, we need to not be thinking about ruling with him from heaven as our primary thought process. There is certainly significant dynamic overlap there. We need to be thinking about Jesus coming back home, aka Israel and the capital city there, and ruling his nation. Jesus is Jewish. And Jesus is going to rule the Jewish nation from the Jewish capital as a Jew in Israel. He's going to rule the planet on, on planet Earth in Israel. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. The government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He's going to orchestrate real government. It's not he snaps his fingers and things are fixed. The weight of the government will be on his shoulders. Uh, the way that the, the Holy Spirit made Isaiah write that... It wasn't just poetry for poetry's sake. It was for us to get inside the scenario a little bit and go, there is a weighty responsibility which will rest on the, on the shoulders of Jesus during the age to come. It's not he just plays the I'm God card, snaps his fingers, and makes everything right. The weight of government will rest on his shoulders, and he will divvy out that responsibility. He will take the job seriously. Government Leading government is a weighty job. We want for our civil servants to be godly people, but whether they're godly or wicked or anywhere in between, they have a very difficult job because there are real responsibilities that, weigh, that rest on their shoulders. The weight of the government of the planet will be on the shoulders of Jesus, and he will do the job with great excellence. Another point that's important for us in our understanding of the way that things are going to work, when Jesus comes back, he doesn't get rid of the nations. It's a very interesting idea. We're used to a non-Jesus-led planet that is led by mostly wicked people, and sometimes those wicked people try to take over other countries to make their country bigger so that they can have greater amount of land mass. And what happens is you wind up with the national borders of countries. They're flexible in this age. Because it's possible that this government will do this thing to that government, or this government will topple, or this government will get taken over, or this government will actually divide into three, four, you know, 10, 20 places. The national borders in this age were very used to the concept of those national borders, and therefore national identities, national languages, national birds. I mean, we've got every, national everything, okay? The reason that we're used to that is because in this age... There is an orchestration of government that allows those nations to operate independently. We somehow have this idea that when Jesus comes back, he snaps his fingers and the borders disappear. They don't disappear. God likes countries. He thinks they're cool. He likes the idea of the government divided up into countries, the, the world government divided up into countries. So when Jesus returns, there are going to be distinguishable nations just like there are now. Now, will there be the same number? Will they all be the same name? Will the, I think some of that's going to get shifted around a little bit. 
I think that Jesus is going to look at the perfect uh, scenarios of justice and, and history and everything else. And I think there's probably going to be some things that he's going to move around. But one thing you can count on is there will be nations in the age to come. Look at this, Psalm 67, a couple others. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. This is Jesus on earth guiding, ruling the nations from Jerusalem. There have to be nations to rule. There have to be nations to guide for him to guide the nations. Otherwise, he would have just said he guides the planet. He rules the world. But he doesn't guide the planet or rule the world merely. He guides and leads the nations. And those nations have destiny and purpose. Just as a fun little side study, if you ever wanted to do it, there is tremendous information, prophetic, unfulfilled prophetic promises about probably 20 nations in the Bible. Named, listed out. Unfulfilled prophetic promises about the destiny of nations and what will happen to those nations. And it's out of the mouth of God. Those things will happen, which you can guarantee those nations will continue to exist or come to exist again because there's promises given to them. All right, keep going. Jesus will form a one world government. Again, a one world government with distinguishable nations. He will do what's never been done before. He will do what not even the Antichrist before him was able to do. A one world government where actually there's synchronism across the globe. There's no, uh, you know, uh, defectors or, or, or there's no people that are trying to fight against the system. There's no small groups that are in skirmishes against the Lord's plans. There's actually going to come a time where the entire world will be under the leadership of Jesus. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. He's going to successfully bring together all the nations of the earth, not to get rid of their boundaries, not to get rid of their uniqueness, but rather to get them all to play nice together under his global orchestration. Israel will be exalted above all nations. Every nation will be lesser to the nation of Israel. Every nation will serve the purposes of God for Israel. Every single nation. There will not be, and I just want to say it this way, we live in a very micro moment of human history right now. We could say even from the time of Adam and Eve until the second coming is just a minute in human history. And for that one minute, America for a season of time has gotten to be the big dog in the earth. That's coming to an end. We're watching that fall apart right now. Whether that's good or bad, it's happening. There have been other nations throughout history, other empires that served, you know, as kind of the top dog in that hour and that, you know, generation and maybe even for generations. There have been different uh, groups, different nations, empires throughout history that have had significant prominence, that have uh, served their own purposes, and then other nations that have just been kind of, you know, off to the side and nobody even really knew about. That has been a 6,000-year experiment that is a blip in human history that will not be even a, a fraction of the time of the reality of human life in the future. The 99.9% .9 
of human experience will be, you know, Israel, the praise of the earth. You know, Jerusalem, the capital city of planet earth. You know the, the world that's ruled by Jesus, where he is in Jerusalem ruling the planet as a Jew, ruling the planet. And we will look back on this short period of time where that wasn't the case, and we'll go, what was life even like when Israel wasn't the praise of the earth? What, what was it even like when a Jew wasn't ruling the planet? And we'll, we'll have so little frame of reference. So right now our frame of reference is, all we've ever known is that being not the case. But a time is coming where no one will know any, any different. And that will be uh, the predominant. Well, let's look at it here, Isaiah 49. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon the Gentiles, everybody that's a non-Jew. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. And they will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers and queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. This is describing part, not all, but part of the tone of the transition of authority. When the thing shifts and the world becomes Jerusalem-centric according to everybody's understanding, when the world is being ruled by Jesus, Jesus is saying, we are going to go and get every one of my lost brothers and sisters that are out there somewhere, every Jew you can find, bring them back to Jerusalem on your shoulders. And then when they're here, you're going to serve their purposes. You're going to love them. You're going to be like foster fathers and mothers and queens to them. You're going to serve them, help them. So it's not subservient like we're going to be their slaves. It's going to be, we're going to be their greatest advocates, strengths, helps. We're going to treat them like, like siblings of Jesus. We're going to treat the Jews universally like they're the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ because they are. And Jesus is going, I'm going to look after my family. And this is how it's going to be. He says, then you're all going to know that I'm the Lord. The nations will serve Israel. Look at Isaiah 14.2. Nations will take them and bring them to their own place. And the house of Israel will possess the nations as men servants and maid servants in the Lord's hand. They will make captives of their captors and rule over their oppressors. All the people of the earth will serve the purposes of God and for Jerusalem, for Israel. It's a very interesting idea. Because right now, I would think that the majority of the body of Christ isn't thinking so much, how do we serve God's purposes for Israel? I don't think that that's a primary thought process in much of the church anywhere. But a time is coming where the entire human population will be thinking, how, we love God. What is one of the ways that we show love for God? We show love to God by serving God's purposes for his nation, for his family, for his people, for Israel. So there will be a significant shift in the focus of what it means to love God in the age to come. There will be such a significant focus on serving God's purposes for Israel. And so any of that that we can get in this age is good. That steps in the right direction. We want to get more clarity on this subject. I'm thankful for those in our midst that have got more clarity on this subject. That this is something that we want to get clearer on because it's not going away, it's our future. This is absolutely a significant, prophesied, guaranteed part of our future. The kings will bring their glory 
to the new Jerusalem. Uh, wait, no, wait, back, letter F. The wealth of the nations will be given to Jerusalem. Check this out. All the nations on the earth, they're going to bring the best of their goods to the city of Jerusalem as an offering and as a way to see the purposes of God built and established in Israel. And you'll be called priests of the Lord and you'll be ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. The nation of Israel, Jerusalem as kind of headquarters, will be receiving the wealth of the nations be brought to them so that the nation of Israel can be the praise of the earth. Jerusalem, the praise of the earth. Okay, I got to keep going here. We're moving way too slow. All right. All right, let's keep going. Uh, number three, this leader is the one that the world has always needed. Jesus is going to sit on his throne. Look at a, uh, Ezekiel 43. It's his throne. He said, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. It's referring not to the throne in heaven, but when you go and read the passage of Ezekiel 43, it's talking about the throne of Jesus on the earth where it says he's going to put his tootsies down on the ground right there. And he's going to look at it and go, that's where my feet go. That's where my bottom goes. He says, this is my throne. It's my throne. I have been waiting for this moment. This is where I will rule everything from this throne right here. Now, we need to be just our paradigm. We need to be thinking about this. We have got the idea that Jesus is God. We, we understand that. Where we don't, where we lack, where we falter, where the Jews have got a flip-flop perspective is that the, the Messiah is a human. He's a man. And really what that means is limitations. That's really what we want to hear. Because when we think God, we think limitless. But when we think man, we need to go to uh, Philippians where it says, he made himself nothing, meaning human. <laughs> he made himself a human because humans can only do so much. They can only be in one place at a time. There's limitations when you become a human. When you don't become a human, you're just God. You can do whatever you want. But God made rules for humans. And Jesus became one forever. When he comes to rule, he is a real human king. Fully God, fully human. And the fully human part means all the humanity stuff. I just want you to remember that passage we were just reading in Isaiah 9. It starts off with, for us a child is born. He came as a poopy diapered baby. The son of God pooped himself. No, it's really important we understand this point. I'm not trying to be funny. Well, maybe a little. It's important that we understand what those limitations meant for God. God got doo-doo on him. No, that's real. That's limitations. He had to rely on another person to wipe it off of him. These are human limitations. Why do it? it the, the concept of the incarnation is just unfathomable. And it doesn't go away when he got resurrected. He's a human forever. So there's real limitations because he's man. He made himself that way forever. He'll be a wise leader. Look at this. I will raise uh, up to David 
a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely. As this human leader, he will reign with wisdom. He'll lead with wisdom. I mean, again, this is the, we've always wanted the right guy to be in charge of the planet. It's just all we've got is wrong guys and gals. It's all we've ever had. The best of them is still wrong guy or gal. But what's coming is the right leader. This leader, while human, he'll lead with wisdom. He'll also be the commander-in-chief of the planet. You know, when you're in charge of one nation, you tell that nation, okay, y'all, no civil war. Don't fight each other. We're all one group here. Well, what about when that guy is now in charge of one planet? Same thing. No civil war. My planet. One planet, no fighting. He is now the commander-in-chief of, of the planet, and it says this, under his leadership, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation and they will train for war no longer under jesus's commander-in-chief leadership there will be no more war he'll be the world teacher look at this isaiah 2 many peoples will come and they will say come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob He'll teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is the law, the word, instructions, his ways. These things are going to be going out from Jerusalem. He's going to be the world teacher. It's such a cool idea. He'll judge over the nations. He'll administrate this world justice system. Now, I'm going to skip down to part four so we can close out with this pretty quickly and then we'll go to our discussion times. Jesus will employ survivors to rule with him. Now, I want to make a distinction. When we were looking at the Bible passages earlier, we were talking about the meek will inherit the earth. We were describing what's going to happen to those that receive a resurrection. We were talking about those that are going to serve Jesus in this age, and then when Jesus comes back, are going to get a resurrected body, and they're going to serve with him. But there's another category of ruling with Jesus. There's another category beyond the saints with resurrected bodies. That's the group we were talking about earlier. Now we're going to talk about a different group that's not those with resurrected bodies. It's those that survive the great tribulation who have natural bodies they too are going to serve in his government in various ways. And look what it says here. Skip into page seven. Last page in your notes. Important detail. Remember we read a minute ago, there are nations and the nations are going to do stuff. Well, don't forget Revelation 19, 19. The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. The beast was captured, Antichrist. This is during the Great Tribulation at the end. And with him, the false prophet. The rest of them, them who? All the kings. The rest of all the kings were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Why do I bring this point up? All the old kings are now dead. All of them. Who's going to rule these nations? He is actually going to put human kings with non-resurrected bodies. He's going to give them places of authority as well. Look what it says. Revelation 21, 24 through 26. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the new Jerusalem. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. 
This is the, the human kings that are given position of authority in the next age. And we don't know. There might be a season of transition there. There might be a, a period where those nations are, are being ruled in a, a little bit of a temporary way before new kings can be put in place. Because all the kings that are of this category, they didn't give their lives to Jesus until after he came back. And now they've known Jesus for all of 15 minutes. He's not going to put them in positions of leadership in 15 minutes, my opinion. I think there's going to be a season of trial and testing and development. But ultimately, Jesus does want human kings ruling those nations. And these new kings will be put into place. And these new kings will fear God. Look at this. Psalm 76. He breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. A time is coming when all the kings will fear him. Can I tell you why? They just witnessed the great tribulation. They just watched Jesus pull a sword out of his mouth and kill all the old kings who were the guys that had their job right before them. He is now what these kings have now watched Jesus take over the planet and orchestrate a new global government in glory, in righteousness, in love. He has also now appointed these new kings in positions of leadership. He has given them the opportunity of a lifetime. These kings will have the fear of the Lord, maybe like no king ever has. No leader in human history has ever had this level of understanding of what it means to fear God. It's also part of salvation because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Nobody comes to God without the fear of the Lord. They might pray a prayer. They might say a statement. They might read their Bible. But no one belongs to God if they've not crossed that first hurdle of the fear of the Lord is the very beginning point of wisdom. No one comes to salvation without the fear of the Lord. You can't get saved without it. Because it's the beginning of wisdom. Beginning, not the end. That's just a starting point. And the wisest thing anybody could do is give their life to Jesus. Amen? All right. Well, these, these kings, or these, uh, not these kings, these humans, these leaders, they'll also serve as elders, judges, and governors. Look at these verses, and then we'll jump into groups. The Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before its elders gloriously. Isaiah 32, see a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. This is describing other positions of leadership that people will take in order to be part of his government because Jesus is coming back to rule the planet and he wants partnership. He wants people to rule with him, both the resurrected saints and the non-resurrected that will become saints. They will give their lives to Jesus. They will enter into the fear of the Lord and they will give themselves to his government and organization. Uh, orchestration. We are headed for the most organized, awesome partnership between man and heaven and the resurrected and the newly redeemed and the next generation of the redeemed, those sons and daughters that are born in the millennium. We are headed for the most incredible way. And this was Jesus's plan all along. He said, look, we got to get through this whole garden thing, this whole fall of man, this whole 6,000 years of human history. All, we got to get through all that so we can get to the good stuff. The good stuff is when I get to rule and reign with them because I want partnership. They're my bride. I didn't call them my servants. I called them my friend and my bride. And I want them co-reigning with me in powerful ways in the age to come. Amen. All right, Luke, how many groups we got tonight? Four groups of six to seven. If you're a group leader, hand in the air real high. All right. Q. 
Uh, Luke, can I get you to move over here? And then Luke, you're good just right there. All right, so groups of six to seven. So we got Andy, Caitlin, Luke Cooper will be over here. Luke Fredenberg's there. Uh, and uh, if you guys just get into groups of six or seven, and then we'll come back together for some talkie talk. Great question. Yeah. So Jesus is, uh, one of his many titles is that he's a warrior king. That's a thought process that's clearly developed. Uh, we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever uh, was the question. So um, what does that look like? How does Jesus manifest that aspect of his nature in an age where he has done away with uh, war? Um, and what does that look like in the millennium and then in the ages to come? What a fun question. All right. So first... Um, it says that he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So there are going to be moments where there are people that are not in alignment with what he's wanting, saying, and doing, and he's going to dash them hard. He is not going to tolerate that level of, uh, of disobedience. So he's actually going to get to exert and show himself mighty uh, as that warrior king. He'll get to remind everybody, you know, what the stick is for. Um, a few times. Now, I say a few times because I don't think this is going to be rampant. Uh, the way that we see the millennium, it's, it's not like wars happening all the time. But when you're talking about a thousand year time frame, there's a lot that can happen and new generations that can be born that didn't know the lessons that their dads learned. And there's, there's all sorts of opportunity there for there to be moments of disagreement moments of you know what we're going to take our nation or our town or whatever in this direction and jesus finds out about it he says no i'm going to rule you with an, uh, a rod of iron i'm going to dash you to pieces if you think you're going to deal with me that way during moments though i think they're going to be pretty rare where jesus will show up as warrior king straight up okay in the ages to come we have absolutely no idea what the future holds but I am saying this, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived. And we have imagined Star Trek. <laughs> there is so much in our future we have absolutely no grid for, we have no frame of reference for, we have no understanding. And the things about who God is, how about this? God is savior. What do you do with that for millions of years? What does that look like? Okay, so I think there's a tremendous amount of, uh, about the future that we don't know. I think it's fair to speculate, so long as you call it speculation, that there is going to be ample opportunity for God to continue to show himself as who he is, as his nature, as everything. Uh, he's going to continue to have those opportunities. And I just think the future is so much more dynamic than it's going to be cool and then just a little bit cooler. I think the future will look more dynamic than anything we've ever seen in the past. And God did Genesis 1 and created everything. And I think the future will be more dynamic. I don't think that God did the coolest thing he's ever done in Genesis 1. And then after that, he's like, oh, I, I did the cool one back. I'm sorry, I got nothing left. Not like that. That was the biggest one in the bag of tricks. That's all I had. I just don't think God's ever done one-upping himself. So 
I know I did not answer the question, but I think maybe I opened up a big old can of worms for you to start to go down that I think so long as you call it speculation and don't you know hang your hat on it and be dogmatic, I think it's not only a good idea to, or, or okay to do, I think it's a good idea. I think it's part of the reason those verses are in there is to provoke our imagination to go, God, whoa, whoa, whoa. Brad just said some, I don't know. I don't know that I like bread anymore. Like, what, did, what is that? And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you, go and pray about these things. All right, Andy. Okay, so it was Zephaniah 3.9. Can you slowly say it again real quick? For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord. So question being, uh, in the millennium, uh, how does that fit? Is that Hebrew? Is that the language of Eden? What will that look like? Um, you know, some have said, because uh, this isn't a subject I've spent a lot of time looking at, some have said that it's the return to ancient Hebrew instead of the other forms that, because so much was lost, there were so many words that were lost, there was so much, you know, some would say that it's ancient Hebrew, uh, to Andy's point, you know, about, or was it the language that Adam and Eve were speaking? Were Adam and Eve speaking Hebrew? Or were they speaking something else? It seems unlikely they were speaking Hebrew based off of just the, the history of languages. I don't want to go into it. Um, so what language will it be? I don't know know what language it will be. It seems right to me that it would be Hebrew. I, I would be on board with that. But whether it's Hebrew or Edendu or whatever other language, one thing we can be certain is God made all the languages. He's redeemed them and he's not getting rid of them. So just like he's not getting rid of cultures. So when he makes a one world order, that world order is unity agreement. It's not conformity and lose all of your personality. God created the concept of personality. He created variants. He created the 10,000 different types of trees. He created the however many different languages he created, he created, he created. And so uh, whatever it is that that will wind up being, I think it will it's not going to do away with tongues. It's not going to do away with angelic languages. It's not going to do away with English. Uh, though I think that there will be a common language, that's what it's talking about, that will allow all the peoples to be able to communicate. In a lot of ways, right now, just because of the way that the world has worked, in a lot of ways, English, for so many decades has been kind of that lean on uh, a universal language, not truly universal, but in many, many places. People will learn English, and, and, and that allows kind of a binding point of many nations together. French is another one of those, Spanish as well. And I think that what we're looking at in the fulfillment of that verse, whatever the language is, it's to uh, serve as the, the universal uh, language for communication so that when Jesus wants to send out a global news bulletin, he doesn't have to send it out in however many languages, you know, you know 5,000 languages or whatever the number is. He can send it out in the one that will be understood, but that will be a point of discipleship because no one is going to enter the millennium and know that language. No, it's going to have to be taught. And then taught to the next generation, taught the next. So there's going to be a whole lot of, uh, you know, whatever as a second language uh, is going to be a very uh, real part of the education system. But it won't be hard for Jesus. He'll have a thousand great ways and technology partnering and a whole globe that's in agreement with him. And so, uh, so I answered kind of some side points. Uh, my take is, I think it'll be Hebrew because he's Jewish. But if it was something else, we'll look at it and go, oh, that was even smarter. Wow, cool. Okay, uh, Caitlin. 
Short version of the question is, in the age to come, if you've got two different types of uh, governmental leaders, those with natural bodies and those with resurrected bodies, how do those two things coexist? How do they overlap? Uh, how will all that work? Um, uh, we didn't have time tonight because it wasn't, uh, well, you just didn't have time. Um, but it's clear, you can make the case very clearly, I've done it in other settings, when we did a, a series on the millennium, it's out there in the bookstore if you want to reference it. Um, there's clear um, uh, verses that make it obvious that there are going to actually be two sets of kings. There's a set of kings over the nations that did not receive a resurrection. And they're going to operate in the exact same way, presumably, that kings do now. Then there's also a whole nother category of kings that have resurrected bodies, and they're serving over those nations as well. Now, how those two kings interact, there's a, a, there's, that's some measure of speculation. But there, there's an operation of the, the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is heaven and earth brought together. And there's, there's representative authority from both heaven and earth ruling those nations. One of the points that uh, we made, I think, in a few sessions ago is that in the next age, we will be like the angels. So there's going to be a measure of, of, of leadership, of help, of strengthening that we as resurrected saints will offer to those on earth. But specifically, the promise that Jesus made in, uh, in quoting, was it Psalm uh, 76, when he said, the meek will inherit the earth, it was a promise made to those that will receive a resurrected body. So he's talking about roles of leadership, authority on the earth that will be led by human leadership that have received resurrected bodies. So whatever level of leadership is given to those that have not yet received resurrected bodies, there will be, I'm going to go ahead and say far more, at least on the start, far more leadership positions are given to those that have received a resurrection just by virtue of the fact of, of the, the population difference. I mean, the human population, non-resurrected, is some million, million, some small number. The resurrected number is probably like two or more billion people. And if they were righteous, if I mean, you just imagine Jesus going, man, they were all so righteous and meek, but I've only got so many positions. No, everybody that was righteous and meek is going to get a position of authority. But there's a lot of positions of authority in government. I mean, at every level. And let's just not, let's go recognize the guy that's the mayor of Arlington with a resurrected body has a really significant job. It's just not as big as the guy that's the governor or the guy that's the king or the president of the United States. And so, uh, so there's just going to be so many different ways. And I'll end with this uh, on that question. We're so used to government and life looking the way that we've only known it. And just as a little snapshot, the way that government and life looks today is so different than how it's looked in human history, in different uh, empires and government. We're so um, locked into the version of government that we currently live under that we can't even imagine that there's a different way. Well, Jesus is going to have a lot of ways that are different about the way he leads his government, including two sets of kings and maybe two sets of everything else as well. And so there's going to just be a lot of room uh, for um, governmental positions. So excellent question. Yes. Yeah, great. So uh, the verse is uh, Isaiah... Um, 2423, the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before its elders gloriously. So this, uh, the question is, uh, is this the same group of elders that we see around the throne in heaven or is this a different group of elders? Um, 
I believe that this is a different group of elders, and the reason for that is that the the way that cities were run uh, in in Jewish history was they were run by elders. So part of the governmental thought process that Jesus has as a Jewish man who's now suddenly promoted to be in charge of everything is to rule cities with elders. So I think that what we see here in in, uh, Isaiah 24 isn't that this is the only city with elders, it's that it's the capital city with elders, but there'll be other cities with elders. And so, you know, you can think of the concept of a city council I think Jesus is going to approach it a little bit differently. One of the things that's beautiful about the way that um, that eldership worked in the Old Testament, which I just so appreciate, it's something that I think we've we've really lost in a lot of ways, is that the elders were uh, uh, were given positions of authority over areas of uh, of life that they had specific levels of expertise. So there would be the elders over the fish gate the elders that sat at the sheep gate, the elders that sat at this gate, and this, and those gates were representative of various aspects of life and commerce. So you didn't have the elder over at the sheep gate who was a fisherman. You had the elder over at the sheep gate that was a shepherd, and he had history in shepherding. He understood that world. So therefore, it would make sense that as an elder, he would be making decisions, judgment decisions over that area of jurisdiction. Vice versa, you didn't have the fisherman over at the other one. So here's the reason I say that. I think that something that we've lost a little bit is we have appointed, at least in our uh, form of government, we've appointed city council members, this and that, but we're appointing more according to do they have general experience as opposed to do they have specific experience. And then when the person, when a situation comes up that's dealing with that person's level uh, area of experience, we lean far more heavily on what they have to say and what they have to think because they were put into that position because they understood that realm. Whereas the way that we do government now in so many uh, parts of Western culture is everybody was brought on the team. Their vote all carries the same. It doesn't matter what the subject matter is. They were brought onto the team or the city council or the whatever because they were uh, somebody that was recognized in the community and they had some level of experience. But the way that the elder run cities were done was they would give input and instruction that was uh, tailored to their level of, uh, uh, to their uh, sphere of influence and, and uh, experience. And so I think that's a, that's a really safe way to lead and to govern. And so I think what we see here is Jesus actually pointing out that, uh, or Isaiah, that that uh, thought process of governing is going to be very much a key part of the way that Jesus reestablishes government and order uh, in the age to come. Okay, great questions tonight. Great. Okay, worship team or leader or whoever. These were great, guys. Great, great, great. Okay, well, we're marching forward. Today was, uh, what, session 99? Can we park? This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.